Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is provided for you by the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Government Department. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics about government. Some may be surprising to you and some may not, so please enjoy. All right, welcome to episode 11 of the Let's Talk Government podcast. Today, we are going to talk about media, tweeting, and fake news. I am joined by our three faculty members from the Minnesota State University Mankato Political Science Program. I would like to welcome back Dr. Josh Birkenpass, Dr. Kevin Parsnow, and Dr. Amelia Pridemore. Thank you for joining to me. So I think we're gonna start by defining fake news. I'm gonna ask each one of you what you think fake news is so that it'll help our talk here. So we'll start with Dr. Pridemore. What is fake news to you? Fake news, I think one of the first key points about it is that it is unverifiable. That when you do the old fashioned, uh, as we called in my line of work, the good old fact check, um, that there's just no way that this checks out. They told us in my old line of work, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. Well, this is something that absolutely does not check out. Dr. Birkenpass, how about you? Yeah, it's, uh, I got about, uh, I don't know, five or six um, slightly different variations on uh, definitions that are floating about um, beginning with um, I suppose it reminds me of Reagan as well, right? Trust, but verify. Um, but I, I'll start with the Pope, right? Um, and the Pope came out uh, in 2016 um, talking about fake news uh, and likening it to the, uh, the story of the Garden of Eden, right? And the serpent coming in and whispering lies uh, to Eve, right? Um, so uh, falsehoods that are meant to mislead. Um, and I'll also add to that, um, I suppose the uh, the way that president uses it most of the time uh, is slightly different. It's simply things he doesn't agree with, right? If you don't agree with it, fake news. Um, and that's probably one of the more um, common ways that we see it used on uh, social media and things like this turned into memes, et cetera. If you don't agree with it, uh, it's fake news. Not a whole lot of substance there, but I don't think uh, that's the point. Thanks. And I should say we have a fourth guest. We have young Mr. Birkenpass, who's also providing his political commentary in the background there. So Dr. Parsnow, what do you think about fake news? Well, I mean, it's it's certainly the idea of fake news certainly means false or unverifiable things we can't know or things left in such a weed of or such a morass of weeds that you can never quite pick at it. Right. You never get to the bottom of it. Um, But at the same time, building off of what Josh just said. Um, fake news, the term popularized more as an accusation about legitimate news sources, right? I mean, the term fake news has been around a while, but it popularized by President Trump using it to accuse traditional legitimate news sources. I'm just going to use his favorite target of CNN um, and calling them fake news, right? Even though CNN, however you feel about it, usually uses verifiable sources and traditional legitimate media standards that we would normally be comfortable with. Um, so that accusation is meant to say, I don't agree with it, but by using the term fake for something that is generally taken to be legitimate news, um, you sort of tell the listener, it's up to you to decide what you believe, right? It's, the, it's a sort of a destruction of a shared concept of reality. Just because Wolf Blitzer is saying it 
even if he has somebody standing there verifying it on camera, doesn't make it true if the listener doesn't want it to be true. So I think that's part of the phenomena of fake news. Well, I think this is a great start for some definitions. So that really opens up our whole topic here. So I'm going to start with the big, biggest question. Talk to me about your perceptions of running a presidency via Twitter. Obviously, President Trump has been very active on Twitter. How is that impacting our nation? How does that impact our relationship with the media and social media? Whoever wants to jump in first. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a with a with a sort of a, a strange defense of it in a sense that um, it, it's an effort. I mean, Twitter is a way to directly communicate with people that's not filtered. If your if your central claim is the media is misrepresenting what I'm doing, then being able to tweet out to people is a way to say I'm talking directly to you. And while a lot of times people will get very upset. And say that's not the way presidents do things, right? Presidents don't. Some I think somebody mentioned. I'm going to steal. They mentioned firing the Secretary of Defense over Twitter. Um, people say well, that's not the way presidents do things. Well, you know, everyone sits back, rosily remembering and talking about FDR's fireside chats. Comes up in the intro to U.S. government all the time. Presidents didn't just sit there and get on radio and chat to people, right? Presidents had formal speeches. They had written them out. That was unusual. And then people said, oh, it's nice that a president personally communicates with you. Um, now, I, I, you know, when I see uh, Twitter and you see a communication from a celebrity, famous person, politician, whatever, um, you feel like, oh, I know that's not to me personally, but I can respond to that personally. And who knows, right? Um, that person might see my response. And that's something that doesn't happen when we're watching the State of the Union address. It doesn't happen in a fireside chat. Um, it doesn't do anything in, in terms of that. So I think there's a side of it that builds a connection with the audience. Um, it also builds an environment where, well, I really am angry about, let's say, Nancy Pelosi's comment. Bang, now I zinged her right back where everyone can see if they read the 4,000 responses to her comment, right? So it, it creates this weird engagement that you just didn't have otherwise, but it might be a fake, back to fake news, a fake sense of engagement. Josh, you had a comment you were going to share about this. Yeah, I was going to comment on the, what we're in political science calling the, the social media presidency. And this also points towards the sort of newness of uh, communication technologies, uh, the internet, uh, in particular, uh, the use of social media by um, political figures, right? We can go back to the uh, Obama campaign was one of the first ones to use social media in a big way, in particular to uh, raise small donations, uh, to reach out to uh, potential voters and things like this. Um, but even President Obama, um, you know, he had a, I would say, a professional uh, Twitter account, right? It's run by his staff. Um, they put out sort of information, right? Um, and things like this. Um, just really sort of, I suppose, in the traditional vein, trying to inform um, their their followers, right? It's another means of uh, direct communication from the campaign or in the future of the president uh, to his constituents. Um, president yeah. Trump really upped uh, the uh, really upped the game, uh, so to speak. Um, on Twitter, he's got over seventy million uh, Twitter followers, right? So he has direct uh, means to communicate. Um, he can 
uh, go around traditional media. Should probably also mention in this context um, the the strong populist movement uh, in the country, right? Which is anti bigness, certainly anti big media. So uh, media becomes a convenient um, scapegoat, if you will. Um, and then at the same time, you can bash something that everyone's sort of you know weary of or upset with right now, anyway. Um, and say, I'm speaking directly to you. Um, you can trust uh, what I'm saying. Everybody else, right? Fake news. If you want the real news, right, come directly to my Twitter feed. Um, even people that, you know, don't support the president uh, follow uh, his feed. Um, people have even created feeds that are, um, you know, anti-Trump, um, not necessarily anti-Trump, but it's not the real account um, so that people who are opposed to Trump can still follow the president's tweets while not directly following the president, right, and sort of where we're at right now. Um, and I'll stop there for now. Well, Amelia, let's tap into your background as a journalist. Is any of this actually new? I mean, this fake news, the social media, the the bizarre news stories, is this new? This is absolutely not new. Um, so so basically, and um, especially where I work nights, uh, most of my time as a reporter and where I worked police beat, um, I can tell you myself that okay, some of the things that we hear, for for example, like Pizzagate, QAnon, um, somebody would call in every night sometimes with something that would make a QAnon theory look sane. Uh, UFO believers, um, the government's trying to control the weather, et cetera, et cetera. All the time. Every every current or former journalist has a story of that, that one bizarre midnight caller, if not multiple. Um, we had also unconventional candidates running, particularly at the state and local level, all the time. Um, it was usually my job to do profiles on them. And sometimes you just had to struggle to, you know, like, I cannot believe I'm fact-checking this. Oh my God. Um, we had unconventional candidates all the time. The thing is, is right now, particularly with not just with social media, but for example, with the evolution of technology came the number of platforms because we had, for example, cable TV really spread things out. And then we had the advent of the internet period. And then we have social media and so on and so on and so forth. And the thing is, is when we, uh, when we in my old line of work in the news media were able to just hang up the phone, huh, whatever, you know, and just ignore, uh, ignore the, the crazy midnight caller. Well, guess what? The crazy midnight caller went on to create a blog. Um, and a lot of times the crazy midnight caller all of a sudden started getting followers. Maybe they have a YouTube channel now. Um, so the thing is, is it's not really this kind of crazy isn't anything new. It's just that now they have platforms and with that, they're getting an audience. And a lot of that is, and most of that is because of technology. So obviously it's not new, but we have more platforms. Is, um, is the ability to have more platforms and less fact-checking really kind of making the legitimacy of the media and the press um, increase or de decrease in the view of the public and on political science? Is it helpful or not helpful for politics? 
because we talk about the media being the, you know, like the fourth estate, the one that's supposed to bring forth information, help inform the public. Is it helping their legitimacy or declining their legitimacy? I would say it's a mix of both, um, particularly um, I would uh, before before I guess you could say the era of Trump, I would say that it was definitely a negative on uh, declining media, because when people say the media, nobody really defines as to what they're talking about. Are they talking about just the Washington Post and CNN, for example? Um, Are they talking about the local hometown newspaper uh, versus something like CNN? Or are they talking about, you know, Joe's blog where he talks about how his cat has put a chip in his brain, right? (laughs) You know? what 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 are we talking about and what happens is is a lot of times your you know some of these uh, some of these outlets that have emerged in recent years that just totally go off the rails they get lumped into the public's mind um with the washington post for example so so what happens is is when you have you know behavior like you see on infowars a lot of times that gets that uh, you know, the Washington Post or New York Times ends up getting the negative baggage that those uh, that those carry. But I think what's happened now, especially as people are starting to realize the problems that fake news and conspiracy theories at all have um, have caused, there's a greater respect now for reputable outlets. So, uh, and, and, and for fact checking, um, like Snopes, for example, that's their job. They fact check, right? Um, so in this kind of post, as things became more post-truth, well, people who actually provided the truth all of a sudden started getting more respect. So it's been, it was largely negative, but now it's kind of you know, it, it's, it's a mixed bag. And from one extreme to the other, I would, I would argue. I'll pick up uh, with that uh, mentioning uh, post-truth. Uh, I think it's something uh, to consider here. Um, and I agree with you that perhaps, you know, the, the pendulum is, is swinging the other way, right? Uh, Trump uh, and his uh, followers brought us to one extreme and perhaps we'll uh, swing back the other way is, is one potential, or we could just keep on swinging, right? We might not be at the, uh, the sort of full arc of the, the pendulum, if you will. Um, and I think there's good reason to think that a lot of folks out there are not interested in the quote unquote facts, right? They're not interested um, in your version of reality, right? As they might say. Um, of course, we can talk about uh, the deepening uh, divide in uh, polarization as well, right? Americans increasingly seeing the world in very different ways, um, being catered uh, to their values and their ideologies through different media outlets, creating uh, what we call echo chambers and other terms used to describe this phenomenon. Um, but really, I think a big part of what's going on here is um, the undermining uh, of, of truth, right, and reality, uh, the creation of what uh, Stephen Colbert once called truthiness, right? And, and it's really not about the facts or the truth. It's about your sort of emotions, right? How you feel uh, about a candidate, how you feel about an issue. And that's somewhat dangerous uh, in terms of American politics, uh, the rule of law, 
constitutionalism uh, and things like this, right? Because there's no shared basis. There's, it's, you know, pretty much anything goes um, if enough people um, are sort of emotionally mobilized uh, due to what you're saying. Again, it can be completely uh, ridiculous, right? Um, if it makes a connection, an emotional connection uh, with voters or with your supporters, uh, it can be an effective tool um, for mobilizing constituencies. Another issue here is that um, it's created a different incentive environment for media sources in a sense that it used to be if you wanted the news, you turned on the television, you either watch your nightly lo your local nightly news or your evening news, or then 24-hour news stations came along. And that was the way people got their news and read the paper and so forth. Um, but now media, major media outlets have had a tougher time getting people to buy newspapers, subscribe, that's gone down. It's fewer and fewer journalists out there doing the hardcore digging to the bottom of the story, right? Um, you might ask yourself whether Woodward and Bernstein would even have a job these days or whether they would have to be unemployed and working at Quick Trip while they did all this investigation, right? Um, so, and then in response, media outlets have become more like social media and internet, right? They're also trying to offer clickbait. They're also trying to cater to an audience. And to some extent, they've sort of bought in on undermining their own legitimacy in a sense that now you, if you watch a channel, you're, you're like, I think this person's going to say, this story's going to say the kinds of things that the viewers want to say. So they don't change the channel over to CNN if they're on Fox or Fox if they're on CNN. And I don't want to necessarily equate the two, but that's the way I think people start to feel. And, you know, it's not just, it's not just Dave's conspiracy blog or whatever that's trying to get clickbait someplace. CNN is putting stuff on, on, on media and they want you to click here to see our story or follow this video or, or watch this really great insightful comment. And that I think to some degree makes them seem less like serious journalism and that undermines people's view of them. I don't know if there's, if not doing that would keep their legitimacy, but I know that doing that does not help their legitimacy. Um, so I, I think in that sense, the, the, the social media undermines the incentive structure that, that causes regular media to behave differently. I think too, also um, uh, piggybacking on what Kevin had to say about, um, you know, constant tweeting and clickbait, um, we have, it's, what happens is we've become numb because um, as one of my students put it in one of my classes, uh, and we had a very lively discussion about this, it seems like everything is breaking news. Breaking news, a squirrel is loose in Central Park. Breaking news, um, you know, some, uh, somebody, in, uh, somebody in Louisiana saw a strange light in the sky. Breaking news, breaking news, over and over again. Well, the thing is, is eventually after you get walloped and walloped and walloped, you become numb. So when something actually is really momentous well it, well it doesn't hit you anymore you don't feel it um one person uh, when i talked about some of the you know showy things that a lot of particularly uh, cable news uh, outlets do um 
you know, to also echo Josh's uh, uh, con- uh, comments about uh, Colbert and truthiness, you know, I remember one of my students was saying uh, when whenever breaking news happens for the nth time of the day on a cable news channel, um, I asked, um, I asked, uh, what does it tell? I asked the guys, what, what do you think? What do you think um, it feels like when you see breaking news uh, um, happen on cable TV? And they said, it feels like Colbert. In other words, it's, <laughs> Colbert is supposed to be a parody of the news, but actually the news seems like to, to my students now, um, a parody of Colbert. And uh, th- so what happens is, is when we, it just becomes even just comical now when we're talking about, for example, the firing of the defense secretary. And it shouldn't be. Actually, Amelia, could you just expand on that? What do you mean by the firing of the defense secretary? Not in case everybody that's listened hasn't figured that out. Oh, oh yeah. The uh, firing of the defense secretary uh, just recently on Twitter. So everybody brings up some really good points here. Um, I've got two different ways I want to go towards the end of the podcast, but I'm going to go with this one first. So do you think now there's going to be an expectation for the next president and the presidents after to personally engage with the public on social media like President Trump is currently doing? What do you what's your opinion on that? I think there's no going back uh, now, right? Um, the, the focus has shifted, whereas I was mentioning before, um, you know, presidents um, had their, their staff and that, that may be the case too, but it's going to be much more sort of personal. Um, you know, one of the things Trump did um, um, and continues to do is share, right, his followers tweets, um, even ones that are, you know, sort of, uh, well, often controversial. And in some ways that's even better, right? Because um, that sort of grabs your attention, right? It's sort of outrageous. Um, It may hit you at the sort of emotional level. You like it, you don't really think about it too much. You don't wanna overthink these things, right? Just share it, right? Retweet it. Um, And then of course those things uh, go viral. Uh, The more ridiculous um, something President Trump, for example, says, the more free quote unquote media attention he gets, right? Which is very useful uh, for the campaign. a big reason uh, he was able to be successful uh, in 2016, right? It was all of the sort of uh, quote unquote free media coverage he got because of the sort of outlandish things he was doing, the ways that he was apparently undermining the rule of law and flouting, um, you know, conventional norms and uh, folkways and things like this. So I don't think it's going anywhere. I think um, future uh, candidates and presidents are going to become much more uh, sophisticated at using social media to directly communicate, to raise money, uh, and things like this. Kevin, what was your thought on that? I, I mean, I, I, I agree in a sense that you, you can't really go back. Um, the interesting thing for me about social media is that whatever today's social media is going to be, it's not going to be that in 10 years, right? Um, so, I, I mean, it, it struck me when, when one of my students complained that only old people are on Facebook. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's how I keep in touch with, oh God, he's talking about me, right? Um, And (laughs) Facebook is all old people now. Twitter is not, right, Gen Z. It's, right, I don't know how politicians are going to figure out how to use TikTok. I certainly, um, I mean, I guess Kamala Harris was dancing and walking in her shoes. That might work on TikTok. Um, But I don't know that anybody wants to see 
um, Joe Biden do too much on TikTok. <laughs> That's, um, but the, 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 the point being that, that will, this, this stuff will change. Presidents and politicians will keep having to adapt to it. And there will always be people who are sort of out front on it. Um, and then there will be people who kind of struggle and look awkward. And I think that's the, that's the part that looks artificial, right? So when, when you try to do something and you're trying to be on Facebook or, you know, or Twitter, and it doesn't come across as sincere, which to President Trump's credit, right? He, it's, it seems like him on, on Twitter. That's, that seems like the real guy. And so that, that doesn't play the same way that a good old State of the Union address does, right? Um, so presidents, politicians are gonna have to adapt. Some of them will do better and some of them will do worse. I don't know how that necessarily will re be reflected in votes. Right, that's the that's the interesting thing to me is like did 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 Donald Trump's tweets really get him the votes or did coverage of Donald Trump's tweets in traditional media sources get him the votes or get him the attention right in the Republican primary and then later in um, the general election? Um, so maybe maybe old media still has a role in how it reports on new media. I would, I would add to uh, echoing both my earlier point and some things never change, but also uh, my colleagues' points on how we, this just continues to evolve. And, and like Dr. Parsono has said about, um, you know, we don't know what social media is going to look like in 10 years, right? Well, the thing is, is as technology has evolved and with that political messaging, um, you know, Campaigns, candidates, interest groups, um, protest organizations, etc., have had to evolve in terms of their messaging even before social media. So just for example, when cable TV became a thing, instead of, okay, we're going to run a television ad that is going to appeal to everyone and we're going to have it on all three networks. Well, when you had a, a hundred cable channels, you had to say, okay, what's going to appeal to the viewer of MTV versus the viewer of, of uh, Lifetime, right? Or Speed Vision. Uh, so even before we had all of these different YouTube channels, social media, et cetera, you had to start getting more and more not only clever because there were all these other people um, you know, having airspace now, but you also had to become more tailored in terms of how you ca cater to a given audience. Um, and that's not, that hasn't been anything new, but the thing that is new is the numbers. You've got to be even more competitive now. You got to be even craftier now. And with the numbers also comes these tailored audiences. You've got to hyper tailor your audio, uh, your messaging now. Uh, so just for example, um, about Kevin's point about TikTok and, and Kamala Harris on TikTok. Um, well, okay. So during this campaign, we had regular television ads with the American flag and whatnot that we see every election season. We also had the Biden campaign, for example, uh, create an island on Animal Crossing. Um, we had, um, we also had uh, some uh, ads on social media, for example, that had uh, from also from the Biden campaign that had um, 
that had cats in it, you know, capitalizing on um, internet cat videos, right? And then one that, you know, also kind of goes along uh, with, um, with, um, with, um, with the, oh gosh, what was I thinking? Oh, the, <laughs> the, the thing that goes along uh, the lines of, um, of new media a lot and tailoring the message was um, and viral video. Um, we all remember the fly on Mike Pence's head. Okay, well, the Biden campaign, boom, as soon as the debate was over, they were selling fly swatters <laughs> for, <laughs> that had their campaign branding on it. So they, uh, so they took this viral video moment that everybody was going nuts over, see, um, SNL made it part of their sketch, etc. And they not only decided to capitalize on it, because that's what the, you know, that's what people like these days, right? Viral moments. They did it quickly. That's another thing. Speed now. I mean, boom, they had that fly swatter ready to go as soon as that debate was over. So it's becoming hyper tailored now. So tailoring is nothing new. The, uh, but how, how much and how clever somebody has to be is, is definitely going to evolve. So as we are kind of bringing this to a close, um, I'd like you to talk about your, your closing comments. And also, is there anything good coming out of this media, social media, Twitter, fake news? Are there positive aspects? Because we've talked about a lot of negative ones, right? So we'll kind of go around again with some closing thoughts. And if you can talk about if there's anything good with that. And we're going to start with Kevin. Put him start on the spot first. Yep. Um, well, I mean, I, 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 there, there are positive aspects, and one of them is the ability to use the internet, social media, to gather supporters and raise small funds or candidates, right? Small fundraisers, um, where you, where you ask for people for five dollars, right? And you can contact millions, and people can go, oh, I'll click here, I'll send five dollars, instead of the old traditional way where they had to get large numbers of people in rooms and, and ask for money or, or have a mailing list. You had to be on a list someplace. It couldn't be somebody just forwarded to you. And they, you know, it didn't make sense to ask for $5. It made sense to ask for $50 in that case. So candidates who otherwise may not have had traction can get traction now. And that was one of the things that both Barack Obama did and uh, Bernie Sanders did. Um, I'm sure there's some other examples where they don't come immediately to mind. So I think that's a, that's a positive aspect. I, I also think that there is an aspect where social media uh, engages people. And there's been some research by Pew that um, something like 25% of Americans have seen something on social media that has changed their view. And I think the implication of the Pew research was that they saw it, they heard it, they hadn't thought about that before. And this, this particularly talked about the effectiveness of the the Black Lives Matter movement changing people's view on systemic racism in the United States. And that might've been something that otherwise it would have been tough for a movement like Black Lives Matter to get out, but they were able to consistently talk about systemic racism and make some people say, oh, hey, you know, I hadn't thought about that much, but now that I've thought about it, my mind has changed. It's not just them, but that was the one that Pew pointed out is particularly effective at it. Um, so to the extent that groups can, can, can get a message out there, be consistent and use social media, um, they, can, they can change minds, which is not an easy thing to do in politics. 
Josh, how about if we go to you for your thoughts and Amelia, we'll have you wrap it up. I got a little, little mixture of positive and negative. It's one of the things I, I definitely struggle with in my classes teaching uh, American politics at this moment is trying not to leave students with a, you know, a bad taste in their mouth, so to speak, right? With all this doom and gloom. Um, I haven't found the, the way to do it yet. Uh, so if anybody knows how to uh, turn these, these negatives into positives, I'm all ears. Uh, but at any rate, uh, when it comes to social media, right, it started off, the, the promise was unlimited, right? It was going to bring people together. It was going to create new communities uh, and create new forms of political associ association, right? Social capital uh, and all of these sorts of things. That was the, the sort of initial dream way back, right? And the, um, certainly was um, Facebook uh, and things like this with the new social media uh, platforms. Uh, very quickly, right, um, we've seen a, a different outcome, right? We're more divided than ever, particularly when it comes to uh, partisanship. Um, it's no longer simply elites who are divided. It's Americans as well. We're awash in uh, fake news and uh, misinformation, um, you know, stories that are, um, you know, not necessarily, you know, put out there um, you know, as a form of ignorance or something like this, but deliberately trying to mislead people. Uh, we're also... Uh, increasingly, uh, technology is enabling us to us people uh, to use video, right? So soon we're not even able to be able to trust what we see before our eyes. Um, so having said that, um, I would end by saying, right, I have uh, a great deal of uh, faith in humanity, right? I have a great deal of faith in uh, the American public. Um, and this is new, right? Uh, this, you know, sort of fake news and, um, you know, talk about uh, muckracking and things like this, uh, you know, back uh, 100 years ago or so. Um, we've seen stuff like this before and we've adopted, right? We've um, changed our ways. We've become used to the new technologies. Um, you know, talked about uh, clickbait a little while ago, right? When those sort of practices were first starting, uh, it was very easy to fall for it. But now, since, you know, maybe you've fallen for it a couple of times, right, you, you know, take a second, look at that link, right, check out the URL, um, you know, things like this, right, we learn and we adapt. Um, and I think Americans are doing that right now, um, even as, uh, of course, technology outpaces our ability uh, to adapt. So I think, well, let me mention one last thing, um, you know, thinking about social movements and uh, protests, right, very important um, uh, tool uh, for bringing people together um, and potentially very powerful. Look at the, the Arab Spring, uh, in particular, uh, Egypt, right? Social media, a big part of bringing people together, toppling that regime. Uh, of course, um, it didn't last, um, but it's a, it's a good example for um, how people can use uh, social media to uh, bring about uh, big changes. So I would say that in terms of technology and social media and, um, and media and communication in general, um, we are living in the best of times and the worst of times. Um, I'll take uh, the approach my dad says uh, all the time, tell me the bad news first, get it over with. Okay, so uh, to echo a lot of my colleagues' points, um, we have this insane amount of divisiveness in our social and political dialogue, just even amongst ourselves as citizens. Um, I often say that social media is like the house party that you have where you invite, say, your work friends, your friends from high school, your friends from college, etc. right? And then 
it never fails that say your your work friends aren't uh, aren't a fan of your sister and your mom really doesn't like your friend from college etc well that's that's how social media works that's your facebook feed right um you you sometimes have to referee these you know groups in your own personal and professional life sometimes at the same time um to uh just be a human in society anymore and it is exhausting so imagine if, if so if you're thinking about this on the personal level oh my god i had to break up this fight on facebook well okay well that's happening to us as a society as a whole um and then, we, of course, we've got all our, of our previous points made about fake news and the like. But I also think in terms of best of times, especially where we haven't been able to um, get out there literally as much because of the pandemic, especially, social media has been a godsend for us in some respects because so much that we would literally never be able to access that we should really know is getting out there because of social media. Take, for example, the crises uh, that healthcare workers are facing with like lack of PPE. Um, we literally cannot go into a hospital right now, even if we have a dying relative in there. Well, that's a lot of times the reason why we knew about these PPE issues is because Healthcare workers were posting pictures to Facebook of themselves with their kids' homework folders over their faces um, to go to work or picked videos of themselves breaking down because they've seen 15 people die on their ward that day. Um, so, or maybe the protest and uh, maybe the protest, for example, in Portland, um, where the federal government's actions against the protesters were uh were considered unprecedented and egregious alike. Well, those of us who are not in Portland um, knew about this largely because of greater access to media. And with the democratization of who's being able to get a platform now on Twitter, YouTube, et cetera, a lot of groups that would have been ignored not only by politicians and mainstream media um, aren't getting ignored anymore now. A lot of them are, are able to demand, listen to me. Uh, a lot of groups who would have been totally shoved aside, like the kids uh, in March for Our Lives who were of voting age this election, um, they were able to force an audience through that, that platform in social media. So, you know, there's a lot of negatives, yes, but there can be a lot of positives in the end. Um, what the final verdict will be, I hate to, I hate to, I guess you could say, I hate to, you know, I hate to, you know, sound like some of the people in the post-truth era, but it, whether it's a negative or positive in the end, we will never know until uh, some, uh, some considerable amount of time has passed. Well, thank you, everybody. We have so much more to talk about on this. So you'll definitely be coming back in the spring and it'll be an interesting winter break and inauguration that I'm sure we'll have more to talk about. But thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. 
If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu backslash let's talk gov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening.